Hello and welcome to this episode of the Healthy, Comfortable, Happy Podcast. Before we start, this episode contains a lot of conversation that might be triggering for some of our listeners. If that sounds that it might apply to you, please be sure to check the show notes for a number of websites that might be able to help you. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Healthy, Comfortable, Happy with myself, Neil Thomas, and of course, Sash James. Hello, Sash James. Hello, Neil Thomas. Um, I am so excited to be back and recording. How are you? Yeah, very good. Thank you. Is it a teacher thing? We always call each other by like full name, like Sash Sas James, Neil Thomas. Is that a teacher thing or Craig, is that a teacher know. thing? I think that's a teacher thing. <laughs> but, but eventually you guys will be just known as Neil and Sass or Sass and Neil so but that's that's got quite a ring to it actually isn't it yeah Sass right. and Neil Neil and Sass, Sass yeah, and love it. yeah. <laughs> anyway I, I, I digress uh, and as you can yeah. see I've kind of semi already introduced our guest today so we're honoured and privileged to have uh, a very old friend of mine but also a very good friend of mine uh, Mr Craig Minchinton joining us on the podcast today. Hello, Craig. Hey, um, thanks for having me. I'm not sure oh. what to say it, but um, yeah, I was completely honoured to be asked and um, yeah, hit me right in the field. So um, thank you. Pleasure. And if I uh, um, call Craig Minch, that's because a lot of people, do people still call you that, Craig? Um, no, I think that, that died out after school. <laughs> like, like yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, I guess I've always known Craig as Minch. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, professional, we're a bit older now, so we'll, we'll go with Craig. Um, and a way to go. So, yeah, um, as I mentioned, Craig and I go way back uh, until... Well, we were about 11 years old, 12 years old. Uh, we met in secondary school. We both went to Brinteg Comprehensive in South Wales in Bridgend. Um, and we, I'm not really sure how we met all together, but we kind of fell into a similar friendship group. Um, many Saturday afternoons playing football in the pouring rain, um, kicking balls into rivers, jumping in and getting them, uh, sleepover over one particular friend's house, Philip Emery. Um, God bless his parents because they put up with an awful lot of um, misbehaviour genuinely. That's why we were friends with Phil. Just for his parents, <laughs> I think. <laughs> get away with murder. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I mean, God. Peter and Elaine, if you're listening, amazing. Thank you ever so much for all that pain we put you through. Uh, but yeah, nevertheless, Craig and I grew up together uh, right up. Probably I've <laughs> spent a lot of time together until we were about 15, 16 and then uh, we kind of, in sixth form, although we were both in sixth form, we kind of separated, I guess, still good friends, but didn't see, spend half as much time together as we did. Um, and then we both went to university, but both ended up at Bristol UWE. And, and every now and again, I would bump into Craig or Craig would bump into me in town, at, in a pub, quite often playing pool. 
Um, and then, yeah, the friendship's just gone on from there. We've always kept in touch, not incredibly closely, but nevertheless, um, you know, we've always had a lot of time for one another. So um, when I was thinking of guests that I wanted to come on the show, uh, I really wanted Craig to kind of tell his story of the kind of last 15 years or so, like, you know, from uni, basically. And Craig will go into that more often. So, Craig, thank you once again for giving up your evening um uh, to spend some time with us and for sharing your story most importantly so thank you that's an absolute pleasure no problem yeah so as always uh, i'll crack into the question so uh, as standard we always ask the same question first up to our guests so what does well-being mean to you um <clears throat> when when you sent me through i i, I found it really difficult to sort of pinpoint it um i guess um sort of originally i just wanted to be like everyone else um but everyone's stories you know completely different so well-being to me back in the day was to live in a normal life um now i hate that word normal um but, but that's why i wanted you know because um i felt overwhelmed by everything Everything in life was just not a struggle, but it, it, it could be tough. And, and um, I didn't really realize that was well-being then, but I guess now it's kind of, as I've, as I've grown and, and learned, um, I, I can associate well-being with, with, with that. And for me, the key really is, is, is happiness, happiness within myself, um happiness in my day-to-day -day. um of course you're going to have shit days but if you have that happiness within then i guess you're going to have more good days than bad um and i guess sort of moving forward throughout the conversation um i always like to sort of caveat at the start that that when i speak about things like this is sort of my journey i'm no <laughs> medical professional um or <laughs> anything like that so any things that I suggest that have helped me are very singular to myself I guess like they may help other people um and if they do or don't doesn't mean that the solutions that have helped me are right or wrong or if they don't help people doesn't mean that the person's right or wrong um so I just I'm just always very wary that when like I've written blog posts and things in the past that um, if I suggest something, it's not like, you know, a Bible for, for well-being or anything like that. It's just stuff that's personally helped me. So, um, so yeah, I've already started yeah. waffling. <laughs> no, not at all. I think, I think you've raised a really good point. And, and, and the reason why we ask that question is because it's a difficult question. But we also ask it because we want people to highlight that it means something to each individual that we speak to. It means something different to SAS than it does to me and vice versa. Um, and I think you're absolutely right to touch upon those things. Um, and, and we'll talk about your blog posts a little bit later on because they're amazing. And, and whilst you make a good point about that's what helped you, it's amazing how much that does help other people like it helped me, um, you know, probably 18 months or so ago, but we'll come back in a, in a little while. And I guess our second question is always, why is well-being so important to you? And, and maybe, Craig, this is a good, good chance for you to kind of tell us a little bit more about yourself, 
tell us a little bit about the journey that you've been on because I think that probably will reveal why well-being is now so important to you um and and through that and as we said in the kind of in the green room before we came on live um you know Sass and I will jump in with questions if they come along as well yeah cool um I mean it's massively important well-being it's such an underrated quality um and almost an ignored metric in life really like um unless you really think about it um for me it's as important as having a, i don't know a healthy heart it's integral to your quality of life um and kind of then moving into my story um i guess if i'm honest i sort of suffered with my mental health for as long as I can remember, really. Um, I guess I just didn't know about it. And I'd never heard of mental health. You know, I'm sure you guys can relate. Growing up, no one spoke about mental health like they do nowadays. You know, it, it wasn't, um, it was, you know, that sort of stiff upper lip, um, manner kind of lifestyle, especially growing up and in, in going through school and stuff. And, I didn't understand it. Um, uh, as a young kid, I suffered with my nerves a lot. I remember, um, I think I was maybe seven years old and I was staying over my auntie's house and I was like staying away from my parents for the first time. And I had a full-blown panic attack um, and had to be taken home. Um, you know, I was staying with my auntie who I'd you know, known my whole life. Um, and it wasn't until I got older that I, you know, reflecting on things and really digging deep into myself that I remembered that story um, or, or that scenario. And I thought, oh shit, you know, maybe, maybe I suffered with anxiety as a kid. Um, you know, going through school, I thought I was more sensitive than others. As a teen, I sort of assumed my hangovers were worse than other people's you know I didn't think it could be anxiety or anything like that I just knew that I didn't feel comfortable in my own skin a lot of the time and I put it down to you know an effect of something else it was never mental health and um and then even going into like the working world I thought it was more down to me putting too much pressure on myself I always wanted to be better I always wanted to progress I was always worried about what my peers thought of me um so I guess I continually believed that my life was riddled with deficiencies that I brought on myself um and I came to a place where I just accepted that I'd have that until the day I die because that's who I was um you know I, I'm a worrier end of um, and it wasn't really until I got older that I obviously became aware of mental health and anxiety, but I, um, I was ashamed of it. I was totally ashamed of it. I didn't want to speak about it. I didn't want to tell anyone about it. I didn't want to admit it to myself. So I just completely refused to believe it. Um, I just pushed it. I saw it as a weakness. I pushed it to, you know, to the back of my mind and um and instead i built a life of crutches to to sort of 
to, to get through life really um you know and in and uh, sorry they enabled me to live you know a, a fine life like i i didn't let it affect me too much but looking at these crutches they you know they were really dangerous um i started running um used running as like a you know a get outside get some fresh air and i ended up running seven days a week um sometimes twice a day running 250 miles a month you know i i dropped down to like eight and a half stone it like that was my crutch that's how i kept a lid on it um that then turned into work i was working like 12 hour days 14 hour days something like that seven days a week um i was in the studio at like 6 a.m and i was the last person to leave um and in my head i was like okay these these are fine because i'm getting through life um i didn't see them as bad things you know running fitness you know so it's fine work yeah. is work um so like uh, i didn't see it as a bad thing um and then um that that kind of got worse when it progressed to alcohol um alcohol for me was like a magic potion like it eradicated anxiety in you know in two minutes like straight away um and obviously that's that's not the the, the greatest thing to do <laughs> like looking oh. back and 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 these these crutches soon became heavier and heavier and i relied on them more and more until one day um i broke like uh, I'm, I'm talking like broke into a thousand pieces i was just eggshell fragile desperately in need to um, address these issues because I was just completely overwhelmed. Um, but I didn't, I didn't learn my lesson um, because one of the crutches I built this huge sort of positive association with in terms of tackling my anxiety was the alcohol and um, and it started fine at first. Like I was almost proud that I could like I almost wore it like a badge of honor, you know, like um, I was t terrified of flying, but if I had a drink, then I could fly. So like I was, you know, I wasn't worried about that anymore. Yeah. So I was like, okay, cool. You know, I'll just have a drink and it'll be okay. Um, any social situations I was, you know, worried about, I'd maybe get to the pub 10 minutes earlier so I could have a little sip of beer, just to take the edge off before meeting people um and um and this just got worse and worse and it and it started as little small things like that and it escalated very very quickly um and, and before we kind of go into that a little bit deeper obviously you yeah. know th there's more to kind of go on to that i just wanted to kind of backtrack a little with so people kind of understand that you've talked about the crutches which i think is an amazing analogy for people that's that's really great and i know it's used quite often but was the running and then you know the working you know 12 14 hours were they going on and and then the alcohol was this all going on at the same time or was it a case of like you would kind of for 
six months you were doing the running and then it and did they develop alongside each other do you, do you get the question i'm asking so yeah people... I there, there was there was crossover like i obviously wasn't um running crazy like that when i was you know drinking lots of alcohol um, <laughs> yeah. and, and i bought that superhuman but like um the work and the fitness yeah i mean i i would yeah i i would go for a 10 mile run before going into the studio and then work all day and then go home um and the other thing um which which was crazy was um i probably shouldn't use the word crazy but um was food. Food was a really strange one for me. I saw food purely as fuel for me to get through these other things in life. Um, so I was eating three bowls of cereal a, a day. And that was it for about a year. Because cooking took time. And time meant that I couldn't be running or I couldn't be working. Um, so I'd broken my, my day down into um, sections that would sort of kind of conquer my anxieties by doing these things. And then any other free time, you know, like I had to eat, I tried to make as quick as possible. So it's, but this became, this, be, like, I mean, I had a great selection of cereals. Don't <laughs> um, but but, the, but this became, um, like this behavior sort of overtook my life. So some evenings, if friends were going out for a drink on Friday or something, I'd say no, because I was going to go running that evening. And that happened more and more and more. And I started isolating myself more and more. And um, that's when, you know, these, like I said, these crutches started becoming, um, they just overtook my life. Whereas from the outside, you'd look in and go, that guy can run a marathon. Or that, that guy is like building a business and working every hour God sends. Um, you know, he is hustling like a motherfucker and he's, he's you know, doing well. Mm. But they yeah. were all, you know, like completely really dangerous crutches to fall into yeah i have just i mean the 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 mental discipline right to be able to say to yourself right this is what i'm eating this is how far i need to run this is what i have to do i mean it's sort of you know like you said running a healthy thing right we promote exercise <laughs> as something that's great for anxiety, for our mental well-being, um, but sometimes if it's not done in moderation or not done appropriately, then actually it takes us along that continuum to to one extreme. And I was going to ask you started to um, talk about how people would be going out to the pub and you would turn that down. How did this this period of time affect relationships for you? Because obviously community and relationships are a really strong part of um managing our well-being yeah i um i had just moved 
um, I'd been living in Bristol um, and I was definitely suffering with anxiety when I lived in Bristol, um, but I'd just moved to Portsmouth for a new job um, and I didn't know a lot of people there. Um, apart, I didn't know anyone there apart from the people who I worked with. So that's when I really started running um, because I was right on the coast, um, you know, and I wanted to get fit. Um, so I didn't have a whole lot of people to see and do things with in the evening. So maybe that was a contributing factor. Um, but um, I, it's strange that the job I left in Bristol, I, I'd worked it for almost five years and I built up some really great contact, um, contacts and really great friends. Um, but I never went back to see them because I was too busy running or doing whatever. Um, so yeah, it, it affected relationships at the start, but it was, it was when I, when I really hit the alcohol hard, that's when relationships just became, they, it's not that they didn't mean anything to me, but alcohol at the time meant more which is a terrifying thing to say. Yeah, and I, I think, so we'll obviously move on to the alcohol next, but um, I think it's, I find it fascinating that, uh, you're absolutely right. And I got on Nick Craig when I was, I think, I can't remember what you posted on his Instagram, potentially. Um, I remember, for whatever reason, I don't know why, I remember sitting in my uh, classroom because <clears throat> we're three hours ahead of you yeah i always remember sitting in my dt classroom on instagram and seeing your running posts during that period thinking christ craig is smashing it like that's amazing like that's some really amazing running one times two distances three just like consistently doing it and posting it um i was like that's off to him like brilliant so it's it's fascinating that as, as we've highlighted, you would associate running, for example, with the right thing to do, but actually it was a contributing factor to you pushing lots of stuff aside that you haven't necessarily dealt with. And that comes through in lots of different ways. Work was another one for you. Yeah. Alcohol is, is another. And it, I just think for our listeners, it's a, it must it's great for them to hear that or have that awareness that it doesn't necessarily have to take the form that you would expect it to. I, I think people would think, oh, alcoholism is potentially a, a people drinking to put their, aside their problems. Mm -hmm. Running, probably not so much. Like they probably, yeah, it, it, I, just, I just find it, that's a fast, you know, another fascinating aspect of your story, really. Yeah, I... <clears throat> the whole Instagram thing and Facebook posts and, and that was all part of it. It was mm -hmm. all me going, I'm fine. Check this out. I can run this fast. I run these many times. Same with my work. I would post, you know, projects or little whatever I'm working on all the time because it was me almost reinforcing in my own head, I'm, I'm doing good here. Like I, I'm handling my my depression. I'm handling my mental health by doing good things, whereas I was just building up more crutches. 
and it's also portraying that picture to the world like you know i i'm i'm you know i'm being successful i'm i'm doing a great job everything everything's fine everything's fine you don't need to worry about me and people looking in like neil being like wow this guy's a superhero like what a ledge like woo you know and maybe you then don't check in on those people because from social media they look like they're doing well and also being a man there's that element of you know man up which is a horrific term um i mean yeah that you know. <laughs> the amount of times that's been said to me in my life is just if i really can't and kind of like i really want to tell you but i can't can't man up right now you know yeah, yeah like you don't want to man up but like i want to like what is that you know would you go around saying to like a five-year-old girl come on woman up woman up small five-year-old girl like no not cool yeah I um, guess I guess a lot of um a lot of my friends used to say that if I refused going out and stuff they to be fair to them they didn't know um it was just them wanting me there I guess um, and I've got a good friend who I spoke to about this, um, and and he's like, shit. I used to say you know stuff like that to you all the time. I didn't realise. Um, and and another you know one of my best friends, Steve Williams. He he, he when I was in some really dark places, um, I always remember him saying to me, "I wish I could help." but I don't know what you're feeling because I've never experienced anxiety. And that, that hit, you know, hit me like a ton of bricks because some people just, just don't, which, yeah. which is amazing. Um, but it's very difficult to explain it to someone, um, you know, to try and say to someone, I've just woken up and I feel completely overwhelmed by the world. And, I'm very vulnerable right now and I can't do what might be a seemingly easy task like make a cup of tea or have a shower um, to try and explain to someone that you can't do that for a mental reason, not a physical reason um, is, is really difficult um, and it takes it, it takes you know um, a certain person to, to understand that. Um, and luckily for me, um, a lot of my friends really did. And um, it was, it, you know, it was, it was such a relief when I finally addressed a lot of this and spoke to, you know, a lot of them. And I was kind of forced into it because my, my habits and lifestyle was taking me in a way that it was getting very dangerous. Um, so... At first, I wasn't doing stuff for me. I was doing stuff for other people. Like I, I was addressing things, sort of, you know, because I, I, I didn't really care about myself. I was kind of in a mix of I don't need to. I was still putting up these barriers of fighting the idea that I had problems. Um, but it. it like I like I've said, it, it escalated so much that it got to the point where um, a classic line used is I was sick, 
oh, what is it? <laughs> Classic line, I can't remember it. Um, I was sick of being tired and tired of being sick um, because I was, I, I, through my drinking, I got very sick. Um, and I was, um, it took me to a very dark place. Um, the, the late Chester Bennington from Lincoln Park, he was quoted, and this, this quote resonated with me so much because um, I hated being inside my own head. And, and he said, um, I find myself getting into these patterns of behavior or thought, especially when I'm stuck up here in my head. I like to say uh, that this is like a bad neighborhood and I should not go out walking alone. Um, and that hit me so strongly because that's exactly how I felt. I, in the same way that I used running and work to not think about my depression or anxiety, um, that's exactly what I started to do with drinking. But drinking was quicker and faster um, and unfortunately more addictive. Um, and it, it would, it would just take me away to a sort of um, different place, um, you know, a very dark place. Uh, I, I kind of felt like, have you guys seen Fight Club? Can you remember like Edward Norton when he's, um, uh, when he can't sleep, when he's um, got insomnia and he's, he's just sat there completely vacant, staring into space. Like he's alive, but he's sort of, he's alive on the inside, but he's sort of dead on the outside. Yeah. And <clears throat> that's exactly what I was like. Um, I, I was, I was just in this, I just wanted to be in the, like a state of numbness where I didn't have to feel any real feelings. I just, I just wanted to get by. I just wanted people to leave me alone. Um, I completely isolated myself from everyone. Um, I would only leave to go get booze and then come back to my room. Um, <clears throat> it, it, it was looking back, you know, <clears throat> I like looking back because it reminds me of, of how far I've come, but it also reminds me of how easy it was to slip into that. Um, and this is probably really the first time I've actually spoke about it on any sort of platform like this. Um, and I'm at a place now where I'm happy to speak about it because I found that pe other people's stories really helped me in the beginning. Um, so if anything I can say can give one act of help to someone else, then it's worth making myself vulnerable for. Um, because because um, drinking like ruins so many things. Like I, I end up, been a, a pretty brutal breakup which ended me leaving London um, had to leave my home quit my job um, and at the time you know I, I hated myself I had huge amounts of guilt um, I couldn't look myself in the mirror um, I don't think I was ever suicidal um, well no I, I wasn't suicidal but I definitely thought people would be better off without me and that's why I isolated myself um, I didn't want to burden other people but I also didn't want people to see me like that 
Um, and I wanted to be left alone to to just carry on doing what I was doing, which was slowly killing myself. Really. Um, I woke up in hospital rooms. Um, I had friends coming, you know, knocking on my door, coming round, basically to check if I was still alive because I wouldn't answer my phone for days and days and days. Um, it was time that my dad rung the Bristol police to come round to see if I was okay. Um, just because I, I just wouldn't answer my phone. I couldn't do it. Even now, the sound of, um, you know, the classic iPhone ring sound. Yeah. If I hear that, it sends shivers down my spine. Because for me, that is, was just the trigger of anxiety. Mm. Um, so can I, can I interrupt you quickly? Sorry. I mean, first of all, can I just say, like, wow, thank you for being so incredibly honest. Um, and although you say just now, you said, you know, if I make myself feel vulnerable to help others, I actually think it's like just to show your bravery. And I, you know, I think it's a strength. I think it will hopefully give people strength. Um, so <clears throat> thank you so much, firstly, for that. Just wondering if you could give us sort of an age or like a timeline on this, um, because you said with the alcohol, it was something very quick. And um, in ref looking back, you were, it's almost scary how quickly it kind of maybe took control. Yeah. I just kind of needed to know that kind of time frame for you. I mean, I, like I said, I used it as probably a lot of ways, um, in a lot of ways that people use it. There's a bit of Dutch courage originally. Um, I'm trying to think when I moved to London, it must have been maybe like seven years ago. Um, and I was in London for a, a year and that's when it just, it just flew through the roof. Mm. Um, but it lasted probably a good year or two after that. Um, on and off, I, um, you know, I'd stop drinking for four months and then I'd go, oh, I'm okay now, like, this is fine. Um, but I tackled stopping drinking, but I hadn't tackled my anxiety or my depression. So, again, I was, I was totally focused on the wrong thing um, because alcohol was easing my anxiety but then the next day I'd feel anxious so I'd have alcohol again and it was this vicious cycle um so it, re it they, they went hand in hand um yeah I, th I think that's where the um, sort of depression wants to take you there it wants to take you to to those places where you shut yourself away from everything, um, and and um, and you, and you isolate yourself, and that's what I would do. I'd I'd feel great because I hadn't drunk for four months, think I was fine, drink again, and then boom, I was back in that dark place, and that would just keep going around, and keep going around, and keep going around, and every time I'd stop drinking, it would be because I don't, like my dad was worried my mum was worried um I never wanted to stop 
um, or I never, you know, it's it's not that I I didn't want to stop. It's um, it was almost like I was lying to myself about how much of a problem it was, even though I was waking up in hospital rooms. You know, it's it's what uh, what a depressed mind can do to you. You, you mm. start believing, you know, things which are absolutely bonkers. Um, and um, eventually I'd, I'd had enough and I started going to AA, um, which, which like, it wasn't really for me. Um, like I met a lot of good people there and I met, you know, I heard some incredible stories and met some incredibly brave people. Um, but uh, weirdly, it was a bit of an anxiety-inducing experience because, <laughs> uh, because, you know, they kind of, like, you put in a room and, you know, kind of, it's a very, it's a very comfortable, lovely um, uh, scenario. But at the same time, if you miss a week, then people are ringing, oh, where were you? Are you okay? You know, and I'm like, yeah, I was just busy probably fucking running or something <laughs> um but but there was the, the, I, I i wanted to try try different things um so i i stopped drinking um and um i eventually went to a doctor um which i thought was was for, only for crazy people you know, I thought it's like you go to the doctor if it's like one flew over the cuckoo's nest sort of thing. Um, and, you know, I sort of explained um, uh, my, my scenario and my past and what had happened. And I told him I'd had enough. Um, and he explained to me that um, lots of people get chemical imbalances in their head of um, serotonin levels and we can give you medication and it can fix you. Um, and I was like, cool. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm up for it. I'm up for anything right now. So, so I did that and it, and it worked for a while. Um, and, um, you know, I, I wouldn't knock taking medication. Like, I think a lot of people will put a stigma on it. Um, but it helped me at the time even if it was like the placebo effect of I'm doing something again to, to sort of sort this out. Um, but what I quickly came to realize is that there weren't just chemical imbalances in my brain. Um, there were just imbalances in the way I lived. And, and they were the things that were most important to fix and things we spoke about already. So isolation, um, you know, work, toxic relationships. Um, uh, because of all the things I was doing, like the running stuff, I, I did very little that gave me any self-satisfaction. Um, and ironically, living in big cities like London and Bristol, I was extremely lonely because I was isolating myself. Um, so I started implementing things in my life to, you know, really try and turn them around. Um, I wrote a bunch of blog posts about them. Um, and and the blog posts are just almost like a series of 
notes of how I went about untangling my brain because it was so mixed up that with all these different ideas and all these different bad crutches that I nearly had to strip everything back and without sounding cheesy, work on myself. So I gave myself a break with work, I gave myself a break with, with most stuff. Um, and I sort of took on board any help I could get. So I spoke to therapists, um, which was life-changing for me. Um, being able to open up to someone who wasn't my parents or my best friends um, and be completely honest with them. Um, uh, I realized I wasn't alone. I was suffering from something so many other people had and there were ways out of it which didn't have to be destructive to your life. Um, and for me, it was almost like someone that pulled back the curtains and I'd gone, there's, there's a better life out there um, and I can go get it. And it scared the shit out of me. <laughs> but, but in a good way, you know, like I, all of a sudden things were possible. Whereas, you know, you were talking about the timeline stats and, and that time, like looking back, that timeline of, of me realizing I had mental health problems was, you know, probably 10, 12, 15 years. Mm. Um, but I just you know put it to the back of my mind mm. uh, so to find out that there was ways around it was was this huge relief um, like a, a couple of other like uh, I spoke to this therapist and, and one one thing she she taught me which I'll never forget she was this lovely woman uh, called Cheryl in, in Bridgend, in the Ark Centre in Bridgend. And, um, I didn't know what to expect. I'd had a couple of therapists who were off the wall, like uh, you know, coming up with ideas of imagine your anxiety is a blob and what colour is this blob and stuff. Look, it may, yeah, yeah, it may work for pe other people and if it does, epic. Like I said, certain things work for certain people, but that, that wasn't, you know, that wasn't for me. But I met this other woman, Cheryl, and she just basically said, right, tell, tell me a story. So I started giving me stuff, and she was like, you need the fuck it button. And I was like, excuse me? <laughs> what did you just say? And she said, if any time you come across, you know, a scenario that's, you know, that you're essentially catastrophizing, um, which I did all the time. You know, I could catastrophize making a cup of tea. Like I could turn that into, um, you know, like a SAS mission. She she would just say, "Have this bucket button." You just say, "Fuck it." It's not that important. It's not life or death. Amazing. Um, and I was like, "Holy shit!" Where's that been all my life? Like, just just to go through a couple of quick things. Gratitude was for me huge. I started making gratitude lists. Um, and I'm sure a lot of people um, have heard of you know, these, these seemingly simple ideas, but they really work. Um, before I went to 
before I went to bed every night, I would just write down three things that I was grateful for that day. And some days they could be, you know, these huge, brilliant things I had achieved that day. And other days it could be, I had pizza for, for dinner. You know, it, yeah. just three yeah. things that made me happy. And it just reinforced every night that I'd done three things that day that had made me happy. Um, and just that reinforcement made me realize that even if I'd had the shit day, I'd still had good stuff that had happened. Um, Such a powerful tool. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So um, it, it, was, it was really, like I said, it, 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 was, it was such a strange journey to go from the depths of guilt um, and, uh, and hate. Like, I, I really hated myself. Um, and to then start to get real feelings again. Um, I think when I stopped drinking, um, I remember someone saying to me, you'll start to have, you'll start to feel real feelings again. And I did. I started to feel happiness and um, compassion and I built back friendships I built back relationships with my family um, I made amends like I didn't follow any 12-step program I didn't you know I, I went to AA I think probably for about a year um, like I so the 12-step program for me is again just too much anxiety built around that for me but um, but I you know I I, it did, it did put me in good stead. And I think it's, you know, the, the sort of rules and regulations of, of, of AA will put in, um, they're just good ideas for life, mm. really. And just be kind um, and make amends with people that you've hurt, if you can, um, just those sort of things. And, um, and I think just, just over the whole time um, I spent, you know, reworking on myself, I realized that if you're depressed or you're anxious or you have mental health problems, then you're not broken. Mm. Um, you're not crazy. You're not weak. Um, and as you said, Seth, like it takes a very strong person to live with depression. It takes huge amounts of resilience. And anyone that tells you a story or opens up about their mental health problems um, is a hero in my eyes. Mm -hmm. And what you guys are doing with the podcast, I think it's, you know, incredible because, um, you know, if it helps one person, then it's worth it, right? Um, at first, I fucking loved lockdown. <laughs> um, I really did. Like, I was like, I can be antisocial as hell. Again, like if you told me in the in my darkest days that I'd now been in an incredible relationship with my girlfriend, then we have the most perfect son or an this awesome family. Um, you know, I, I would not have believed you. But he was born in the January. Um, so I got to be at home to watch him grow when a lot of people don't have that a lot of people you know would be out going to work so 
I loved it. It then it did get tough. I mean, work fell off the planet for me for a bit. Like, but again, that coincided with with my son being young, so I got to spend a lot of time with him. So it wasn't that bad. But then, um, what's been particularly difficult is um, my girlfriend's family live in Ireland, and um, we haven't been able to see them, and it, it's been really tough. Um, but I guess the classic thing I do is go, well, it's, it's been tough for everyone. Similar trap to what I've done before. You know, it's you kind of have to be a bit selfish sometimes with your well-being. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have to look after number one because if you're not in a good place, then you're no good to help other people. Um, so you're allowed to feel shit. You're allowed to say, yeah, I, I feel like, you know, I miss my mom. I miss my parents. I miss this. Just because someone else is admit, admit, uh, sorry, admittedly going through something a lot worse than you, which a lot of people have in this pandemic, and I really hope I'm not coming across insincere when I'm saying these things, but um, you're also allowed to feel for yourself. Um, so it, it's been, like, I, I've, I've missed, yeah, I, I've missed people. I've missed my friends. Um, I, I, I'd be terrified to think of what would have happened if lockdown happened when I was in my darkest days. Mm. To be honest, I don't know if I'd still be here. Mm. Uh, so I can be super thankful for that. Um, I've also got a badass garden, which I've been <laughs> <laughs> spending all my time in, as I'm sure a lot of people have. Um, so, so that's kept me busy. Um, and, and weirdly, work's been very busy as well. Um, so so yeah um yeah one of my one of my blog posts is find outlets that feed your joy because when i stopped drinking i had a shitload of time on my hands because i was never hung over and i wasn't in the pub or whatever yeah. so I was like, how am i going to do so that's how i got into gardening um nice. and i was like this is actually really cool it's being creative i'm outside i'm learning shit about flowers i mean what's not love i feel i feel we we this is this is a whole nother episode on gardening gardening. (laughs) i love it yeah yeah i i almost i need a photo i need like a before and after photo to put on our instagram (laughs) yeah yeah gardening with craig (laughs) i could do like the weekly slump yeah Yeah, i love it love it you're in um so we, we are moving towards the end of time. Uh, well, not, you know, the end of all time, just the yeah. hour of time together on the podcast. Um, and I just want to mention your blog, Craig. So um, you mentioned it, you know, intermittently doing, doing the podcast. And firstly, I want to say thank you um, because I followed it early on. And I know you've just relaunched your website, which looks amazing, by the way. Um so your blog is now on, or your blogs are now on your uh, website, adoraattack.com. 
And I just wanted to say thank you for sharing that once again. It's a bit like this podcast. You know, I found it extremely useful um, when I was going through kind of my anxiety period, um, January, March time uh, in 2020. Um, I really took some hints and tips. For me, one of the key things was that, oh, someone else I know is also having a similar issue so I felt okay like it made me feel better um not that I was glad you were having those issues or having a tough time but it, it just for me reading that that someone I knew so well relatively well um was going through that I, it just helped me a great deal so thank you from a personal perspective but also you know yeah. for the many other people that have probably read your blog as well um and, and second of all, you know, mm -hmm. before we ask you the final questions, um, just to say thank you for sharing that story. You know, I got a little bit choked up at one point because, you know, you're a good man, Craig. And, and to think that you've been to those dark places um, is tough to hear. Um, but nevertheless, I'm absolutely delighted and chuffed that, you know, you are where you are now and, and yeah, you've got Oren and Jen and, you know, everything's clicking into place, right? Um, you should be incredibly proud of yourself. So I know I am. So um, yeah, you're a top man. Thank you ever so much for sharing it. It's yeah, incredible. Yeah, thanks so much, mate. That's uh, very powerful. Yeah, thank you. It's, um, I could, I can, I could listen for hours. Mm -hmm. I, I'm like I don't know where time has gone I would I've got so many more questions to ask you you're a very interesting and um inspiring individual so yeah thank you um Neil shall we move on to our questions yeah the last three questions Craig we ask every girl the guest the first one is are you healthy um <laughs> I mean if you'd asked me these questions five years ago, then I probably would have given you very different answers, but because they had hugely different meanings to me. Um, I guess, like emotionally healthy, yes. Um, but I swapped booze for cake. So, <laughs> I, <laughs> so I've put on some of the some of that weight I lost. Um, but I don't think that's a bad thing. But emotionally healthy, I feel in a good place. And um, I do feel like I have the tools to um, to keep me there. Brilliant. That's, that's an amazing answer. That, uh, yeah, that's an incredible answer. Are you comfortable? It's quite, yeah, it's a, it's a funny question, but are you comfortable? Um, Again, yeah, um, <clears throat> like, yeah, we've, <laughs> it's, it's a fucking difficult question, that one. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I mean, we've, we've got a great life, um, we've got aspirations to, to do a whole load of things when the world opens up again, but at the moment, you know, we've, we're very comfortable in such a, wonderful relationship that I there's no anxiety on that side of things you know um with, with our family so we're we're very honest 
we're very open and that makes for a comfortable living for sure. That's great. And finally, are you happy? Yeah, I'm all right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, I used to see happiness as what I owned or or which restaurant I ate or how much I got paid. Whereas now, I mean, happiness is my family, it's my son, um, it's my incredible friends that are stuck by me. Um, and it's my business that I've built, which I'm incredibly proud of. And so, yeah, I sometimes I feel like the luckiest guy on earth when I look back. Um, so I'm, yeah, I'm a very happy guy. You're an incredible man, Craig Minchinton. And uh, yeah, it's been an absolute privilege to have you on the show today. So from both Sass and I, and I know Sass has said it a number of times, but thank you so much for your honesty, your openness, being vulnerable. Um, what you've done today is an incredibly difficult thing. And, um, you know, for you to share that alcoholism and, and for you to speak about that for the first time, you know, we're, we're incredibly grateful. So um, I'm sure there will be many, many people out there that will benefit. Um, what we'll do is in, in the notes, um, in the notes, we will put the links to your website, Craig, where your blog is. Um, check out his awesome animations and everything else that he does. It's incredible uh, work. Um, and then also some support groups about in and around the topics that we've talked about. And I'll ask Craig for some recommendations about what we could put in there. So thank you ever so much. Sash James, just before we go. One, one last thing off the top of your head, a tip for well-being, how you can have how you can um get good well-being, positive well-being. Um talk. Yes. Talk. For me, that was that was the start. That was that was the start of it. And now I'm here talking on the podcast. I mean, I never thought about that. So it's been it's been a privilege, guys. It's been an absolute honour. So thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank you so very much. So you've heard it there, straight from Craig's mouth. Talk. I love it. I mean, especially, especially us men, because we're rubbish at it. So get out there and talk. <laughs> One thing that really sort of hit me during my sobriety or, or the start of my sobriety at least um, was something from this amazing writer called uh, Jonah Hari. Um, <clears throat> he does a brilliant TED talk called Everything You Know About Addiction Is Wrong. And he talks about this really amazing experiment um, by some professor whose um, name that escapes me now. but. Um, he, it's in this experiment, he takes a rat and he puts it in a cage and he gives it two water bottles. Um, one is just standard water and one is water laced with heroin. And every time the rat goes over to the heroin water, drinks the heroin and eventually overdoses and dies. Um, he tried this over and over and over and the rats kept doing the same thing. <clears throat> so he, the, the professor wondered, you know, what, what circumstances were making them do this? He realized that the rat was just in a cage on its own. Um, so he essentially built like a rat Disneyland. There were loads of other rats. There were 
things for them to do. There were toys for them to play with. They could have sex with the other rats, you know. Um, and he had the two bottles of water there, you know, the heroin-based one and normal water. And almost nearly never did they go to the heroin. They always went to the normal water. Um, and it got the professor thinking that maybe it's not about the rat itself. It's about the cage that it's in. Um, so I think you can very um, easily sort of <clears throat> throw that and look at it in terms of human beings that if you're isolated and you are lonely and you have nothing to do, nothing to keep you happy, no one to talk to, um, you could quickly get hooked on the heroin um, because we'll give you something, please. Um, whereas if you're surrounded by others, um, you have affection, you have a meaning in life, you have things that bring you joy, um, and and you know, I guess I guess the most important thing is yeah, you have company. Then you want to be present. You want to be at your best because you want to be happy in that situation. Um, so you don't go for the heroin. And I think that, that really relates strongly to people with addictions and how, um, and how people who are depressed and lonely can fall into really difficult traps very quickly. Wow. I mean, that is something. We'll pop that in the notes uh, for anybody who wants to have a little um, listen or, or watch of that. That's, that's pretty powerful, right? Yeah, I, and, and Johan Hari, he's, he's an incredible writer and he writes um, about depression and anxiety a lot and he's got a couple of brilliant books um, and he goes on to explain further um, how that experiment informs human beings and stuff like that, but um, I, I can't recommend him enough and also there's, um, there's sort of like, what do you call them, a wellness, wellness code? No, well, no, I... A mental health advocate actually called uh, Josh Conley. Um, and he's someone who's um, got you know a wealth of stuff on YouTube, which is really useful. Um, and someone who I've actually had a few sessions with myself, and I fully recommend him. He's a really great guy who's been through a lot himself, and um, a lot of his stories will resonate with a lot of people. I think that's great. It's really good for people to get to go away and um have a listen to something so thank you i like, I like that wellness no advocate I, I like that term um because coaches or like if you called like a life coach it just sounds a bit like oh you know, <laughs> the health advocate is like yeah yeah yeah, I love it. And Craig, can I can I ask? Um, obviously, you are currently sober, and and how long has that journey been? Um, it's coming up three and a half years. Um, and if you want to get totally really geeky about it, it's been one thousand two hundred sixty-seven days. Um, and I don't know that off the top of my head. I just looked at, <laughs> at the app on my phone um which is the dry days app actually 
um, you know, this is not a promotional plug itself, but it's not like a paid promotion. But it's a it's an app which helped me at the start where you just put in one day at a time and take it off. Um, really help. Um, whereas, yeah, now the days just build up and uh, here we are. Amazing. Yeah, very uh, inspiring. Yeah, brilliant, Mum. Trust Thank you. you Thank you so much for your time this evening. Um, it's been wonderful to to chat and get to know you a little bit better, Craig. And um, enjoy being in the garden uh, with your gorgeous son and um, girlfriend. And thank you again so much. No, thank you, guys. Thanks. Sass, do your goodbye thing. Oh, sorry. Okay, I'm so engrossed. Thank you, everybody, for listening today. I hope you've um, taken something away from it. It's been a joy. So from me, Sash James, it's goodbye. And from you, Mr. Thomas. It's see you next time. Okay, thanks very much, everyone. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>